Gasol will inbound. Siakam back in. Got to be aware of the inbounder here if you're Philly. It's off the Leonard. Defended by Simmons. Is this the dagger? The art of a great call. Kevin Harlan created tension and excitement in a matter of seconds the night Kawhi Leonard and the Raptors knocked out the Sixers. The 1-1. Bautista drives it. Deep left field. Goal! From 0 to 60 in a split second, Dan Schulman called Jose Bautista's bat flip like he had it in his back pocket. Suddenly it is 6-3 to three for Toronto. And the goal heard from Victoria to St. John's. Chris Cuthbert set a nation on fire in 2010 as Sidney Crosby won Olympic gold for Canada. With the NHL, Major League Baseball, and the National Basketball Association all returning, these three broadcasters have unprecedented assignments ahead of them. They'll call games in empty arenas, studios, and bubbles. And they join us on the Sports on Pause podcast. Tonight, you folks at home and we here in the Coliseum will watch history in the making. All right, Donovan, I'm um, I'm very excited about our podcast today because, as you know, in my other American life, I cover the United States sports media for another company. And so these are three broadcasters, in all honesty, who are exceptional at what they do. In the case, obviously, of Dan Schulman and Kevin Harlan, call multiple sports. Chris Cuthbert, of course, is you know one of the iconic hockey voices in North America. And what's really interesting is that for guys who have a lot of experience, Donovan, for guys who've been in the business for a long time, this is an unprecedented assignment. They're about to sort of experience something that they have never done in their broadcasting careers, which given the names of the people on this podcast, to me is just remarkable. I mean, just think about it. Kevin Harlan is going to be inside the NBA bubble. He's going to have to test clean for COVID-19 for whatever it is, four to seven days. So he's he's going to be in a very odd environment. Then he's going to get sprung. And then he's going to have to call games in just this unique environment with no crowds. The broadcasting element of this is just a very, very interesting thing to examine and to talk about. No question. And think about the actual job. You're going to have less shots of fans. You're not going to have any of these celebrity interviews to break up the play. It's really going to be the broadcasters, the storytellers, the play-by-play callers carrying the broadcast and making it entertaining. And that's what separates the guys at the really top of the profession and everyone else. And the really interesting thing about the guys that we're talking about today, not only are they great at it, they do it in multiple sports. And each sport has its own cadence and style and rhythm, and they've been able to do it for a long, long time, including our first guest, who you probably have heard if you're a football fan, as he's done a great job broadcasting 11 Super Bowls. But if you're a basketball fan, you know his work for the five Final Fours, He's done announcing for Westwood One and Monday Night Football, but right now he's working for Turner in TNT Sports, calling the restart 
of the NBA, and he'll do it from the bubble. He joins us. Kevin Harlan is our guest next on the Sports on Pause podcast. Before we get into, you know, what calling games moving forward is going to be like, what has it been like not calling games? Are you calling, you know, street hockey and street basketball games just to stay sharp and pass the time? Well, uh, Donovan and Richard, it's wonderful to be on with you, and thanks for your invitation. I've kind of used it actually like I normally would at this time of year when the NBA playoffs would stop for me personally, I would be off basically from the middle of May in a normal calendar until about the first week in August when I would start NFL preseason and uh, I broadcast those for the Packers, Green Bay Packers TV network. So I'm kind of used to a long spell where I can truly turn off the spigot and read books and sleep a little bit later and not keep up with the daily headlines in the paper or reading the athletic or the different venues that I visit to keep up on the different sports that I cover. So I do take my foot off the gas a little bit and I find that that makes me refreshed, rejuvenated and ready to go. This has been so different because we know There was the attempt to restart with the NBA. We just didn't know when. And then when that began to kind of clarify itself, it really lined up with when I would normally start anyway. So in actuality, I lost about the last two months of my regular schedule, which would have been perhaps 25 to 30 basketball games. And um, we'll definitely hear in the bubble in Orlando coming up and meet that number certainly as we go into the football season. So it's been actually quite normal. I've enjoyed the time with my family in particular. I've missed sports dearly, but have enjoyed the time to kind of rebalance a little bit and rest in addition to staying healthy uh, has been kind of my daily routine. Kevin, how did the assignment inside the NBA's bubble in Orlando come about and did you volunteer for it? Well, they had asked along the way, going back to March, because it wasn't really a known if they would restart in the middle of March. We were all heading to different games, and then they postponed the season, as we know. And as we were going from that point onward, in fact, maybe even a week to two weeks before that date, a call came from Turner and asked if I felt comfortable with the growing concern about the virus. You know, in February, would I be comfortable still traveling? And I said I would be. Then, of course, it stopped abruptly, and I was comfortable. I was hoping, to be quite honest, that we could have done them from Atlanta in a studio, but when they chose to go to Orlando, and that may have been driven by ESPN, which is owned by Disney, saying, well, we're going to be in Orlando doing these games, and I think the league certainly preferred us all being on site. So, Again, no trouble doing that. The problem is, for a lot of the broadcasters who have other things going on at this time on the calendar, namely baseball and the beginning of the NFL, some pretty significant problems were arising. And one of which was, when you go in the bubble, you can't leave the bubble. You've got to be there for a a certain amount of time. And then when you come back in, re-enter it, you've got to go through all the protocol and everything else, which we were all fine with. 
but there wasn't the dexterity in being able to get in, get out, get in, get out, as we might do if we're flying to do a game in St. Louis and then in Denver and then in Boston or Toronto. So, you know, there were some problems there that, that came up and a lot of us along with Turner and in my case, CBS have had to navigate a schedule that uh, had to say, unfortunately, I can't do this because this now falls into the natural contracted schedule of an NFL season. And unfortunately I've had to decline some opportunities with Turner because this is football's natural year and this is more of an artificial NBA season. But no, in answer to your question, I had no problem at all getting involved in the schedule and being a part of what you know the NBA and Turner want to do. And I'm honored that we're a part of it and we're moving forward. So you are really a unique case where your voice and your work is known as much in one sport as it is in another. Most people, they're, they're dominant in a sport, but they can you know, flex their muscles and do another sport if asked. Now there looks like there won't be an NFL preseason, so obviously that's not an issue. But how have you had to manicure your schedule to make sure that you'll be doing some work in the bubble and then eventually doing some NFL work? What's that going to look like for you this summer and fall as all of the sports converge at the same time? Well, that's a good question, Donovan. So when Marv Albert and our sports uh, leader at Turner Jeff Zucker had the uh, publicized conversation about Marv not going to the bubble for various reasons. Um, in late June, Turner called and said, this is the schedule we've got for you, including the conference finals. Immediately, I'm looking at my calendar and paging page by page. Give me the dates again when these are scheduled as of now. And, it, and of course, it was a very much a moving target. And when they start giving me the dates, I'm looking at my NFL overlap, and it was significant. It was, in fact, the entire month of September. And I kind of said, okay, let me dig into this a little bit more. And I'm flattered for the opportunity for this particular final sit-in for Marv, who I revere and respect so much, always have. Uh, there'll never be another voice like him, knowing that this is just you know for this year. But because we're kind of connecting the dots here, we need to, as Turner was saying, kind of plug people in. And so we'd like you to do it. So this put us in a position where everything now is kind of the Wild West because you've got contracts that stipulate you work basketball on these days and this time of the year. But now that that has been transplanted on top of a season and a contract, which naturally is this time of year, and on these dates, you know, we've got a problem. And so that took about two and a half plus weeks to figure out. And um, to be quite honest, I'm not sure the discussions that happened, but I did not get involved, and this is one of the reasons why you have some representation. But um, the discussion was that I would do the beginning of the regular season to restart I'll be off in the first round of the playoffs and then I'll continue with the second round of the playoffs and then go right literally for my last playoff game in the second round, whatever the series that may be, right to my NFL week one start with CBS. From your perspective regarding health, regarding medical protocols, what have you done 
prior to heading in the bubble to um, educate yourself, talk to doctors, et cetera. And then what are you expecting once you get in the bubble regarding the medical part of this assignment? Well, I'll begin with the last part of that, Richard. Uh, So I'm going to fly down on July 25, Saturday night, tested first thing in the morning on Sunday, then again Monday, and then again Tuesday morning. The NBA has, I think, contracted a test program or provider that will give very quick results, and we'll find out uh, not immediately, but as close to immediately as you can in this world we're in if I'm negative, and then I'll be able to go inside the area and we'll be allowed in, and they've color-coded each degree. So, for instance, coaches, players, executives, team personnel, and sideline reporters are in the green area. We, as broadcasters, me, Mike Green, and others, our analysts, are in the yellow area a yellow card, and then in the red, I sure hope I'm getting these colors correct, are the technical people, producers, directors. We as broadcasters do not have any face-to-face, any kind of close contact at all with anybody in the green zone, our reporters, coaches, players, team personnel, and on. So when we're in the hotel, which has been designated for just broadcast people outside of reporters who are in a different area, We can come and go from that hotel, but in a very limited scope. We can, I think, in small groups get together, for instance, for a lunch or a dinner, but not with people in the red area, but just in people in our color-coded area. So there's a bunch of things we've got to go through. We'll be tested twice a week, Tuesdays and Fridays, I believe, and we can have no contact with anyone outside. No family, loved ones can join us down there. No guests, nothing. There are certainly rules and laws in place in this temporary setting. Personally, uh, we've got three daughters and our son. Our middle daughter is pregnant with her second child due in late September. She also has a one-and-a-half-year-old. So my concern personally is um, coming off an airplane, traveling the way I will be, reacclimating myself to my family. And I don't know that, uh, you know... I will feel comfortable being around my pregnant daughter and her baby, uh, the one-and-a-half-year-old. And then my wife, of course, will be with our daughter and and very close to our family members. So, I mean, it brings in a whole series of things I've got to kind of work through. But otherwise, I've got the PPE, adhering to the three basics they say, cover your face, wash your hands, keep your distance. And when I'm in the bubble, those things will be easy to do. But when I leave that bubble and go back to the Orlando airport and fly to wherever I'm going to meet my family, I don't know if I've contracted it from the point I've left the bubble to the time I see them. So I am a little bit concerned about that transition and how we're going to handle it. And I'm just going to have to kind of uh, play it maybe hour to hour, minute to minute. My guess is I will probably keep my distance, unfortunately, from, from most of my family when I return. That's heartbreaking to hear you say you don't know how comfortable you'll be my wife donovan has had me straight now since march 11th i don't know if she'll find that heartbreaking at all she'll probably say thank you lord she always says she goes you sure talk a lot i didn't notice how much you talked because i'm always so much so, so, i don't know she may find a nice little re- relief from 
from from me being around so much. But I am um, going to miss being with our grandson, and and then certainly when our daughter, by the grace of God, will deliver her second. You know, being around them for for that very important time when uh, she is a newborn and my daughter is just delivered. Listen, all the broadcasters in varying degrees are facing some. Anybody who travels is facing some risk, and I think we all know that. Speaking from recent experience, uh, you know, grandkids are like the lifeblood and joy for grandparents. So that's heartbreaking. You'll put in that spot. I want to transition. You mentioned it, you know, the challenges that broadcasters are having to a different challenge. And that is the mechanics of how you do this. We've seen videos of what the court looks like. It looks like you're going to be calling games, you know, from the penalty box with the glass up. True. That's good. That's good. I'm going to use that. Hey, this is a service for you. Uh, We can workshop these things. Um, (laughs) You know, calling a game, there's a great relationship with who you're calling them with. And, you know, whether you you just get a touch on the shoulder, point something out. um, That's impossible with social distancing. And the intimacy that you have calling a game on the floor, it, it might be lost. Plus just the mechanics of how you guys will shoot and tell stories with no fans. How are you preparing to do a job very differently, but trying to still do it at a high level? Well, a lot of, that's a good question. A lot of eye contact probably, because we are going to be in the, in the goal or judge's box. There are a lot of other things too about that. You know, when we do NFL football games, occasionally we'll be in a sealed broadcast booth and the bounce of your voice off that window is significant. Actually, I'm on a call today to address this because the more I've looked at the at the logistics of where they've got us, like in a booth for NFL broadcasts, if you're hitting that thing straight on, you can back up or you can even turn to the side and talk the length of the booth, not to have that. So if there would be a big play in the NFL, I would oftentimes, instead of uh, you know using a stronger voice in delivery, as I'm looking out that window and maybe a foot or two away, I would, as I learned by listening back to tapes, turn sideways and almost talk in the back of the booth and sideways the length of the booth where I knew there was no reverberation. My voice was not backing off. Well, in this scenario, we've got glass on both sides and in front. So I don't know if I'm going to literally look to the rafters to have my voice go skyward and up because it's going to sound that way. I mean, they're only, I think, four feet wide and three feet deep. So there's not a lot of room and you're, you're going to sound even as great as these headsets are in the, in the technical people we have in the truck. If you get going and you, you know, blast a call, you know, it's going to bounce back at you and it's going to sound different. And I know some of this because of doing the 2k NBA video series. We are now doing a lot of it from our individual homes, Doris Burke and Rhode Island and in Philadelphia and me in Wisconsin or in Kansas city. And, and all the other guys we've got, a big part of it, if you're in a closet or in a room, are the acoustics, and they've got all kinds of foam and everything else around us to make it sound like we're in a studio. So this is going to have the very bare-bones remnants of like these walls that are very close. I mean, like it's like I could stretch out my arm and touch one side of the wall and my other arm and, and touch the other wall, and in front of me, reach ahead, and my palm would be against this glass. But in terms of, you know, once you get doing a game and you can't have that, you know, knee hit or an elbow jab to your partner say, hey, I'm done, or, hey, I'm going to lead you, 
I don't know how that's going to work. It's going to be more, I think, just glance and, and everything else. I mean, you can't bang the glass because you're going to hear it in your headset mic. So the two guys that really I think about when I think about, you know, how important that nudge or that, or that little lean into is Doug Collins and Bill Raftery. When I did games with them, they're both very, um, for lack of a better term, handsy. And they'll like grab my forearm if they've got something important I'm going to say, and I'll stop in mid-sentence so they can get it out. And Raph would, you know, lean into me a lot. And Doug might grab my hand or kick me with his artificial knee under the table, you know, and say, hey, listen, I've got a real important part here. And, and I would stop talking literally in the middle of it. He would interject and then I'd finish my sentence and we'd move on. So if they arm brace me or if they punch me or if they give me a chicken wing with their elbow hard, I know that they're really impressed with what they just saw. And I might even move into a different gear with my call because I know that to them, the expert, the person that played or coached, it means something like that was like, Hey brother, that was unbelievable. So that's the kind of give and take you're going to miss us with having us in these gold judge boxes that we're going to be in. So there are a couple of logistical things here, mechanical things that definitely will come into play and have to get used to that. Well, the other thing we're all going to have to get used to is the fact that there's no fans. And from someone who produces features, like you are the gift to a feature producer because you give us so many great calls and great sound ups, right? No regard for human life. LeBron James, like that was part of the cultural lexicon. People saying that obviously in Toronto, we love the, is this the dagger, right? And then the reaction, you found a way to ride the emotion in the building and then make your call and then get out of the way and let it breathe and let the fans tell the story. Well, there are no fans. There's no emotion for you to amplify. How are you going to figure out emotionally how to bring your passion through on the call when you're calling a game in a somewhat sterile environment? Well, I'm hopeful that I'm going to get so lost in the game and the mechanics of the game and strategy and the great individual play, great team play, that I'll just be kind of uh, mentally transformed and so focused into that zone where you don't hear anything. I, I've said this before, but I'm stunned sometimes when I go back and watch my games and review and grade that I hear so much like loud PA music and like artificial noise from the different teams and home arenas to try to get the fans into it with the banging drum or a screaming PA guy or whatever. Like I'm just stunned. Like what I'm here, I go, wow, I cannot believe this stuff. And I only notice it when I go back a couple days after the game to review that it's even in there. When I'm doing the game, even with these headsets on that pick up everything, I never hear that stuff. Like it never registers on my radar. And the other thing is when we're doing the NBA 2K video game stuff, a lot of times they'll ask me to watch a clip and there's very low crowd noise on it. It's, it's because I'm, I'm watching a clip or a couple of different plays back to back. And I've got to exude some emotion when I watch these plays. And the sheer act of the emotion that I conjure up and the play that I'm watching kind of goes hand in hand. It's not that difficult, but I've done that for so many years. Not that I would fake it by any means, but I'm really not as worried about that is I am just kind of making sure that I get into the saddle 
and I grab the stirrups and I'm, I'm holding on to the rein and I've, I've got that comfort level that when I'm on that horse, I'm able to, you know, maneuver it the way I want to. And, you know, it takes a while to kind of adjust and wiggle into place and got a firm grip and get your feet in there, make sure they're snug and tight. That's kind of what it will be for us broadcasters, getting in this new environment, in this new setting, in this new saddle and getting a hold of what the environment's going to be like. But I really think there's so many professional guys out there that after a while they'll adapt. Like the players are going to have to adapt to kind of a different setting for them on the floor. I think we'll all adapt and, and do the best we can through the next couple of months. We are selfishly looking forward to watching over the next couple months, but most importantly, stay safe. When you go to that airport, make sure you get TSA pre-check, get right through so you can get home to your loving family uh, and keep them safe as well. Have a great call and, and have a, a great season in both seasons. Thanks for spending the time. Thank you, Donovan. Thank you, Richard. A pleasure to be on. Thank you so much. And uh, wishing you safety and health to your families and all your listeners. So like Kevin Harlan, Chris Cuthbert has had some amazing calls calling football. For Cuthbert, it would be Canadian football. But right now, like Kevin Harlan, he is covering the restart and the ending and the playoffs of another sport, hockey, the National Hockey League. After doing amazing work over the last 30 years calling games for CBC and TSN and NBC. He has joined the Sportsnet family and will be a part of our Hockey Night coverage as we cover the Stanley Cup playoffs. His hub city will be Edmonton, and he tells us what that experience might be like next on the Sports on Pause podcast. So Chris Cuthbert is an award-winning broadcaster, a Gemini Award winner, Canadian Broadcaster of the Year Award winner, and at this time of the year, most years, he's calling Canadian football, telling those stories, as well as obviously being known for calling hockey's most famous goal, arguably the golden goal at the Olympics. Well, he's one of the few people who during a pandemic was able to get a new job and he's come over to Rogers Sportsnet and is going to be calling hockey for us. Chris, congratulations on the new opportunity, the new gig, your perspective, you are now being thrown in to calling some really, hopefully well-watched high leverage hockey with a new team, a new crew and doing it differently given it's going to be in a hub city. That's a lot of change where in our industry, we're often creatures of habits. What has this period been like for you? It is hectic and, uh, and dizzying, but uh, it's exciting. And when you get as old as me, uh, a little excitement's uh, kind of neat. And uh, once the game starts, a lot of it is the same. I kind of likened this tournament to a, an extended version of what we just did at the Olympics in 2018. So I'm hoping that there's some similarity there and that the rhythm that I got into pretty quickly in Korea will be something I'll be able to do in the Edmonton hub. And uh, you know what? When I got into the business a long time ago, my goal was to be on Hockey Night in Canada. And uh, I'm excited to be back on Hockey Night. I'm I'm a Hockey Night in Canada veteran, but uh, I'm a, I'm a rookie with Sportsnet, and uh, it's just great to be uh, getting 
ramped up once again. In terms of the specifics of the broadcasting element and understanding that these are unprecedented times and things can change, what can you tell our listeners about the mechanics of what you're going to have to do broadcasting these games? Well, you know, it still is a real unknown. Uh, To broadcast in an empty rink is going to be a a different challenge, although there were games in Korea in a small venue in an Asian games that the hockey venue is not always the hot spot and it wasn't in Korea. So I guess we can draw a little on that, but it's going to be different than playoff hockey in any venue, particularly in places like Toronto and Edmonton. It, the, the atmosphere is, is just off the charts. And, and as a broadcaster, you use that energy, you tap into the crowd as if they're yet another broadcast partner per se, uh, on the telecast, uh, you lay out a lot more, you use that energy, and that's something we probably won't have in, in any way, at least I don't anticipate uh, having that same ability during these games. So that's a test. Uh, uh, you know, multiple games in a day is, is different, but it is, uh, it's not completely foreign to me. I know I'm doing a lot more prep than I would have before. Fortunately, we've had a lot of time to do prep, but uh, uh, to do three different series in the first round is is exciting for me. It's it's different, a little bit more hectic than one or maybe two different series you might get uh, uh, in a normal playoff year. Although I will say that I have had playoff rounds with NBC where I have, I think there was one year I did every Canadian team involved in the playoffs in the opening round by bouncing around. So it can happen. You just... Uh, have to prepare in advance. I think one of the advantages will be that you're doing it all in one place. So you're not changing time zones. You're not hopping on a plane every uh, second day and uh, you can kind of set up shop. And uh, I like the consistency of that. If you could, what do you know right now about testing for yourself? Uh, Having talked to a number of broadcasters who are inside bubbles in Orlando or in Bradenton, uh, the testing for COVID-19 has been... um, you know, robust and invasive and daily. In terms of you going inside this, um, we'll call it a city bubble, what do you know regarding the testing that you're going to have to face? Well, Richard, I I don't have to do any testing because technically, yes, I'm not in that NHL bubble. I mean, I wouldn't show up if I didn't feel well enough. Uh, I have not been tested. Uh, When I came back from the end of the season, I actually did the last game on the NHL calendar, which was Ottawa and Los Angeles. And I didn't travel with the Senators uh, down from San Jose into Anaheim and Los Angeles and, and actually didn't have any contact with the Senators, which was fortunate because uh, they did have a few cases coming out of there. When I came back from Arizona a couple of days later and went into quarantine, I would have liked to have been tested. There are times in the last four months that just for peace of mind, I thought I should be tested, but have not. And uh, my wife's a nurse and tells me that uh, I'm not showing any symptoms or haven't, so there's no need for it. So anyway, I I go to Edmonton and will again be outside the bubble. So without a test and uh, I'll be wearing my mask and uh, taking care and uh, and again, not having any contact with anybody in that bubble. So uh, besides temperature checks, I think that's all I'll be going through when I enter the building. So this is a very unique 
experience. And it's a different level of sacrifice, both the time away from home and from your family, but also because the virus is still present. Did you have any reservations or trepidation once you knew that the games would be back on in taking the assignment? Uh, Not really. Um, I had a little concern about whether or not that, uh, you know, if I would have been able to go to a different hub city like Vegas when I saw the numbers there. But, you know, it's funny because I've, I've read about some concern about coaches and assistant coaches and because of their age and, and in some cases been described as their advanced age. And then I go, wait a minute, I'm that old. But uh, again, I've been careful. I've been cognizant of uh, what's happening around, encouraged by the fact that uh, Alberta has not been a hotspot. Uh, Edmonton has not been a hotspot. And uh, I know my family is a little more concerned about a flight to get there, but uh, I've always been kind of just... Uh, take the proper precautions and, uh, and trust the process. And I think uh, everything's going to be fine. You know, one of the great sort of unknowns here uh, for all these sports is, um, is what we're going to see, what the quality of play will be. For starters, it's just exciting to have it back. And that's going to be awesome in itself. But you've called hockey for a long, long time. Never in any kind of situation like this where there's been this kind of, uh, you know, sort of absence of play during a regular season and then a return in the summer. What kind of quality of play do you expect both in Edmonton and Toronto? As I've been trying to keep tabs on all the teams involved, I, I think it's we're starting to learn that uh, the skilled players seem to be ready. Now, it's easy to have all that skill and thrill in your scrimmages, when you're just practicing against your teammates and and you don't get that the violent aspect of uh, of playoff hockey which we know is going to come whether those skill players are going to be a little bit ahead of the curve i'm not sure i liked a comment from edmonton oiler general manager ken holland today he said you know i'm not going to tell you that any one of the 24 teams can win the cup but any one of the 24 teams could probably win a round, and especially with that first qualifying round being three out of five. As again, Ken mentioned, you know, the team that loses game one, they're facing must win in the second game of the series. So I think there's going to be some urgency right from the get-go. In fact, this is probably as healthy as most teams and most players are heading into a playoff round. So I think there'll be some unpredictability because it is different. Uh, I think there might be some three or four goal leads that evaporate. But again, nobody really knows for sure. But it's not going to surprise me if within a week, the caliber of play is exactly what we hope for from Stanley Cup playoff hockey. This is new for you because you have a new broadcast partner, Louis DeBrusque. What uh, are those conversations like and how do you guys build a chemistry without having worked the front end of the season together? It's a good question. Uh, Louie and I have uh, spoken a few times. I think it's going to be seamless uh, because of the kind of broadcaster he is. And uh, I really like to lean on my analyst uh, because they usually make me look and sound better. I've worked with over 60 different color commentators and a lot of those are one, two, or three games, and that was it. And uh, I found that, uh, you know, we could get up to speed pretty quickly. 
The fact that uh, we've got a couple of exhibition games helps. And uh, the fact that we're going to be on the air once and sometimes twice every day early, I think we're going to get up to speed pretty pretty quickly. I, I've got great admiration for Louie. We've had a couple of dinners on the road in past playoffs when uh, he was working for Hockey Night and we were doing the same series for NBC. And I know he's going to eat more than me, but I think we're going to get along and he'll leave some scraps on the table for me too. And lastly, this is unique. I don't know if we've ever had an absence of sports for so long and then a bunch of sports all at the same time. There's different thoughts on... Is this going to distract from the real important conversations we've had as a society? And really, is sports an essential service? What do you think the response to the amount of sports being given to the public is going to be once you're back on the air? Well, I'm, I'm expecting high ratings. And, and you know, I, I don't know if that's a vital measure right now, but uh, I think there is a pent-up need for it, or maybe need's not the right word, but uh, I think fans are, are looking forward to a different kind of uh, distraction. I don't think that means that uh, a lot of the issues we're facing right now are going to get pushed uh, aside in any way, but uh, I think people are ready for uh, for something different, and, and I wouldn't have always said that about uh, summer hockey. I think a lot of people in Canada love the game so much, but they also want their summers away from the game. But, uh, you know, I've been stopped on the street a few times uh, recently for uh, uh, people saying, can't wait to, to hear you back on the air. We're going to be sitting by the pool watching games, which is something you don't often hear. But uh, I think there is a, an appetite to get back to it. And uh, uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, if hockey does have any difficulty gaining eyes when the other sports are going on against them. Yeah, we are fascinated to watch and see your voice and your being a part of the coverage will help certainly gain some eyes as many people are excited. You've had over 30 years in the industry, but uh, what you're about to do is very, very unique. So have fun with it and stay safe. And thank you for joining us on the Sports on Pause podcast. Hey, really appreciate it, guys. And uh, yeah, if you, you hang around long enough, something different comes up and this will be different <laughs> and uh, it might be one of the more exciting chapters. Uh, appreciate sharing it with you. Well, we appreciate that conversation with Chris Cuthbert. And we turn now to another outstanding broadcaster who Canadian audiences are long familiar with, as are U.S. fans of college basketball and baseball. Dan Schulman is the voice of the Toronto Blue Jays, and he, like our previous guests, is about to enter a unprecedented situation for him when it comes to broadcasting, and that is calling Toronto Blue Jays games, not from a stadium, but from a studio. And Dan Schulman speaks with us on the Sports on Pause podcast about all the challenges that the nexus of COVID-19 and sports will present for him. All right, Dan Schulman really needs no introduction in Canada. He is uh, the Blue Jays television voice. You will hear him on Sportsnet, ESPN, audiences in the United States know his fine work on baseball and college basketball. He joins us today on Sports on Pause. Uh, we don't know if he's in Buffalo or Baltimore 
or Pittsburgh. <laughs> Pittsburgh. <laughs> or name the city that the Blue Jays may be in. In all seriousness, Dan, of course, is, will be based in Toronto. And Dan, let's start with this. As we are taping this today, uh, which is um, close to the Blue Jays' start of the season, can you give us a sense of what you know about your broadcast schedule, understanding that it probably has changed dramatically in the last uh, 48 to 96 hours? Yeah, well, a lot is in flux, and and, uh, good to be with you guys, uh, Donovan and Richard. And so we're just over 24 hours away from the Blue Jays' first game. So before the federal government in Canada said, no, you can't play here, our expectation was we were going to do the 30 home games from the ballpark, from Rogers Center, in an empty stadium, but in our normal booth, and we would do the 30 road games from the Sportsnet studios, or for those in Canada, the Tim and Sid studio is where we're going to be doing the games from. What what has changed is that now all 60 will be done from a studio. So if the Jays play, the Pittsburgh thing is gone by the wayside, as you know, whether it's Baltimore or Buffalo or who knows where, Buck and I will still be sitting in the same studio for 60 games. The real differences, I guess, are on the production side, who's providing the feed, how are we getting that feed, and then you know, hopefully are we making the best of it in our studio? We, I tweeted out a picture a few days ago. We have the biggest monitor I've ever seen sitting right in front of the desk where Buck and I will be, which will give us the game feed. But we need more than the game feed. So the other team will be providing other camera angles. We'll have a camera on the scoreboard. We'll have a camera on the bullpens. We'll have a camera high above the field just showing the field so we can see how the defense is situated. And again, none of it replaces the ability to just look out of your broadcast booth live in a ballpark and see everything for yourself. But we're trying to recreate that as best we can. And, you know, broadcasters from all 30 teams are doing it. We're trying to recreate that as best we can. So hopefully for the viewers, the differences are not that noticeable. Yeah, the, the photo you tweeted out was a great one. Uh, no longer can you tell your kids they're sitting too close to the television <laughs> as you're basically broadcasting from what looks like a future shop. Um, <laughs> but baseball so much about storytelling, I think more so than many of the other sports. And you will lose, in a way, the ability to hang out around the batting cage and talk to the manager or a player to see the adjustments that they're working on. How will you change the way you tell stories? Uh, because you're not going to be in close proximity to the team anymore. It's a great question because you're right. So during the pandemic, every team is providing their media one or two players and, and a manager per day. You get them on zoom, but everybody's getting the same guy. So everybody's got the same information. And you're exactly right, Donovan. I mean, a huge part of the job is just going into the clubhouse or going to the batting cage during BP. And, you know, sometimes it's on the record, sometimes it's off, but just going up to a guy and saying, so what are you working on? Or how have you done against this pitcher? Or tell me what you think about this guy's development, one of your teammates, something like that. All of that is gone. And, and, It's a great point you made, and you've just made me break out in a cold sweat because of it. So I want to thank you for that. Because, of course, if you do football, basketball, or hockey, most of it, the vast majority of play-by-play is the action. But as you said, in baseball, so much of it is storytelling. And that's one of my favorite things about it. I love that pace. It's so different from my college basketball job. But you're right. We're going to have to tell a lot of stories to get through it. There are no crowd shots. There are, you know, there are a lot of things we're used to having 
won't be there. The nice thing is, is I've got a guy sitting beside me in Buck who's been doing this forever and I've known him forever and he knows everybody and he's a great storyteller as well. And I think we might wind up telling some stories about things that maybe we wouldn't have done in a quote unquote normal year, but we'll endeavor to get all the information that we can and, and try to tell uh, as many stories as we can. And I think it'll be, there'll be some trial and error, you know, too much of this, not enough of that. I'm sure after every game, we'll sit down with our producer and say, okay, what worked and what didn't and how do we try to get better tomorrow? Dan, one of the things in talking to a lot of broadcasters, and there's a lot of challenges for the assignment that you're about to uh, head on because most of the people are going to be broadcasting from studios right now. And in talking to broadcasters, one of the things that's that's going to be the challenge is to how do you amp up enthusiasm and energy when you don't have the crowd to naturally draw from on that. So I wonder from your perspective, have you either one talked to other broadcasters who might have done that prior or two, have you actually gone about practicing, you know, the way an actor would, almost a method actor would to like call like a game-winning home run when it's just you and Buck and maybe a producer or so in a studio with literally no sound? I haven't done it yet, but it's another great question, and it's one that I have thought about a lot. And I know the first thing I will do when I get home at night after the first game is I will have taped the game, and I will go back and watch it. And I will watch the big moments first, because you're right. I know what I, what I need to do in a ballpark full of thirty or 40,000 people in order to meet the moment. And in theory, of course, I should do the exact same thing in a studio. But will I feel silly doing that in a studio when it's just me and Buck uh, in the room? So I, again, I think it's going to be a feel thing. I haven't practiced it yet. I tend to be one who just kind of goes with his gut, like do what feels right. And hopefully most of the time it is right. But again, I think that'll be a trial and error thing, Richard. And I'll go back and say, okay, it sounded like an eight out of 10 on the adrenaline meter when I did it. But when I watched it back on TV, it was only a five out of 10 on the adrenaline meter. So I, I've got to do a little bit more. It's, uh, you know, uncharted waters, right? And, and uh, you guys know that as well as anybody. So I'm not sure I'm the type who can practice in advance and listen back to it. I think I just wind up, I don't know if I could take myself seriously if I did that. But uh, some people have said to me, are you worried you won't meet the moment? And some people have said, are you worried you'll overcompensate and do too much, which might even be a bigger mistake ultimately. So Again, you, uh, hopefully I'll find that sweet spot before long. So Canadian baseball fans over the last couple of years have gotten the treat of having you. It's almost like this dessert, like, okay, Shulman can fit us into the schedule. And I wonder now, what is that schedule? What will your responsibilities be for a potential college basketball season if there is one or any other duties with ESPN? How has the sports world all converging at the same time in the restarts changed the cadence of how you work? Uh, very much so, but I would say on a temporary basis. So, you know, when I was doing Sunday night baseball for ESPN, I was doing a limited number of Blue Jay games and then I left Sunday nights a couple of years ago, wanted to be home a little bit more. So now that I don't do Sunday night baseball, I do a little bit of baseball for ESPN, but I really don't do much for them anymore until we get to the playoffs when I do the whole run on ESPN radio. But during the regular season, I'm kind of a utility guy for them right now. And as you guys may know, if you've watched any of the KBO, the Korean Baseball League that ESPN has been broadcasting, announcers are doing those games from their homes. And it's apparently a very elaborate, somewhat expensive 
kit that is being shipped and set up in the announcers' homes, allowing them to do the game. So about two weeks ago, I called my boss at ESPN and my baseball boss, and I said, hey, do you think you're going to use me at all? And he said, uh, no, I don't think so because of the kit. We're just going to keep it you know, condensed to three or four guys who are going to do most of our games. It doesn't make sense to do one of these kits for somebody who might only do a couple of games for us. And he said, why do you ask? And I said, well, I was just curious. I said, but you know, the Sportsnet has reached out about my availability here because I'm, you know, I'm in Canada. I'm situated here already. I said, they've asked if I might be able to do more games than say my contract calls for. And my ESPN said, go for it. And uh, I went back to Sportsnet and told them that. So, and they said, could you do all 60? And I said, yeah, this year I can do all 60. So this is not a normal year and I don't expect next year to be like that. But then going to the winter, which you asked about Donovan, um, I'm all in, again, on ESPN college basketball. I don't do anything for Sportsnet after baseball season ends. So I'm really hoping there's college basketball. It is a passion of mine. It is something I've done for over 25 years. And I get to go to fun places and great arenas and do cool rivalries and all that. And I don't know if it'll exist. We have no idea. It could start in November. It could start in January. It may not start at all. I may do games on site. I may do games from Bristol, Connecticut. I may do games from home. I have no idea. So, uh, you know, I think we'll have the college football example to see how that may go before we find out how college basketball may go. But I'm really hoping in November I'm calling a college basketball game for someone. Dan, I want to follow up on that because every broadcaster has to make individual decisions. You are in a really unique position in that you are Canadian, you uh, live in Canada, and if you ended up covering United States sports, American sports, you'd have to travel over the border, back to the U.S., yeah. where so many people are in uh, the country that we are broadcasting from, are trying to prevent Americans from coming our way. So it's a sort of a, it's a personal choice. Where do you stand in terms of being on site, of traveling to the states as a broadcaster? You have children, so that's you're married. That's obviously a, a factor when it comes to that stuff. I, I think people would find it interesting just what your thought process has been on the possibilities of having to travel to a country where COVID-19 is in a very different position than what you are dealing with now in Toronto. People may not know that it's an MLB-wide thing that visiting broadcasters are not going on site to call games. So forget Toronto and Canada for a second. Cubs playing the Cardinals. The Cardinals TV guys cannot go to Wrigley Field and do the game. Not allowed. So that was kind of taken out of my hands, and I'm glad I wouldn't have wanted to have gone. And uh, our mutual boss, Rob Corte at Sportsnet, when we talked about this, he said, listen, I'm not sending people to the U.S. He didn't want to do it. Not that anybody was asking to do it, but again, he took it out of our hands too. So that was great. But I have thought about it in terms of October when I do the playoffs, assuming I do the playoffs for if there is a playoffs in baseball, when I do them for ESPN radio, there's a chance at that point because there's... Uh, there are fewer people calling games that maybe will be on site. Uh, and then I'll have to make a decision. And I think my decision would be, yes, I will go to the ballpark. Or they might say to me, we're going to call them from the studio in Bristol, Connecticut. If my choice, Richard, would be cross the border to call the World Series or don't cross the border and you can't call the World Series, what my gut is telling me now is that I would cross the border and I would work. The interesting thing is, you know, when you do a whole month of October, if the division series ends in four instead of five, you get to sneak home for a couple of days, see your family. Then you go back out for 10 days for the LCS. That can't work anymore because if I come home and things are still the way they are right now, I've got to quarantine for 14 days. So 
one thing I know is if I do do the playoffs, like I'm leaving home for at least a month and I'm not coming back. And that's something that my wife and I talked about a little bit. But again, you know, just like six months ago seems like six years ago. October seems light years away right now, even though I know it's not. And we got to get through a baseball season before that happens. But it's something we'll have to decide in the moment. But right now, if they ask me to work in October, uh, I think I would cross the border and, and just take every single precaution that I can take. You've seen this industry really change. The way we tell stories has changed. How people consume the stories we tell has changed. I wonder how you think, as all industries are now changing because of COVID-19, how our media industry is going to be different moving forward, what our new normal is going to become. I think you'll see less traveling, and um, that had already happened. You know, as you guys know, and, and uh, Richard, maybe specifically because you, you know, covering the, the U.S. sports scene as much, there are more and more Remy's being done. And for those who don't know, a Remy is where some people could be the announcers, could be the announcers, and the producer and the director and some of the technical crew, not as many people are on site doing games. And the feeling is, well, it saves a lot of money. So like if I'm doing Duke and Carolina, I'm on site. But if, if you're doing uh, you know, a much lower level, smaller game that's uh, going to get a much smaller audience, oftentimes a lot of people, including the announcers, may not be on site. And I think just like any other industry, Donovan, where a lot of people have discovered, hey, I can do my job just as well from home as I can from the office, I think sports TV is not immune. And whether it's graphics or whether it's the announcers or, or different aspects of the show, I think we're going to see more and more things done remotely, whether it's from home or a studio rather than on site. And I know there are certain advantages to it. Obviously, in this moment from a health and safety protocol, there are enormous advantages to it. But assuming the world uh, eventually gets back to some kind of normal, I think you lose something when you're not on site. And, you know, I'll be able to speak to this much better at the end of the baseball season. But, you know, doing games from a studio is not like doing games from the arena, uh, whether it's baseball or basketball or whatever it is. So the other thing that could change that, again, and I'm sure you guys have talked about this, that to me would not be a good trend is right now the teams, they're really setting the tone in terms of media access. Uh, here's the Zoom with the team manager at four o'clock, and that's what it is. And, and, when all is said and done, that we can still, as you talked about before, Donovan, I can still go up to the, the cage during batting practice and say to a player who I've got a good long relationship with, hey, tell me what's going on. Give me the vibe here. And you know, the other issue is this year, we, I can't develop those relationships with new players. I've never met them. And you get to know guys when you don't have a microphone in your hand and you don't have a notebook in your hand, when it's just two guys talking, two people talking, and, and you know, you're getting to know them and get a comfort zone and he, he trusts you and that sort of thing. So I worry a little bit about the access because, as you said, it gets back to storytelling. And I, I hope that's something that's kept in mind that the access isn't restricted too much going forward. Well, one thing that uh, will feel normal, we'll be hearing Dan Shulman's voice on Blue Jays baseball whether he is doing that from a studio or on site somewhere. Dan, we wish you uh, the best of luck in these uh, unprecedented waters. It's going to be one of the most interesting broadcasting assignments you've ever had. All of us will be listening. And thank you so much for joining us today on the Sports on Pause podcast. My pleasure, guys. Uh, anytime. Thanks for the same to you. Hope uh, you and yours are all doing well.
All right, as we come out of our conversation with Dan Schulman, we head to our last word segment where Donovan and I give you something that we've read or seen or heard that will provide you with um, something interesting or some kind of knowledge that will help you as you navigate your own waters with COVID-19. And this will do a little bit of promotion and promotion for our previous guest, Dan Schulman. His podcast returns. That is a swing and a belt. It will be a daily podcast regarding baseball news and Dan's insights from around the league. So that's a swing and a belt coming daily from Sportsnet, a podcast you can subscribe to, baseball news from around the league. Donovan, what do you have? Yeah, that's a really good one. And I am a longtime listener and I have subscribed. And if you subscribed to the version in the past, don't worry. Uh, you're about to be updated with more Dan Schulman content, which we all need. Something I've also subscribed to for a long time is that wearing masks are important. It's kind of not that hard to do. And it not only helps and protects yourself, but more importantly, it helps and protects others. However, on my social media, I see people all of the time fighting with bus drivers or screaming in stores about the fact that they don't want to wear a mask and i also see a lot of conspiracy theories as to why masks aren't good for you not true uh so don't take it from me take it from the cdc they've got an article out about the human experiment showing that masks do in fact work if you want one piece of hard evidence that a mask prevents transmission of COVID-19, here it is. It is a great, quick, simple, easy read to explain what we should already know. Masks are important. All of the guys that we talk to are going to be wearing masks as they get back to work and bring us the games that we love. We thank them for coming on the podcast. We wish them good health. And we wish that to you, please. Although it seems like the virus has gone away it is still live and present so continue to be diligent stay safe take care of yourself and others